Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to put out a big old trigger warning. If you think you might be distressed listening to someone talking about subjecting themselves to extreme pain through various means, you may want to hit the stop button now. Are you still there? Okay, let's go. A friend of mine introduced me. I got about 200 lashes from a soft flogger. And he passed me off to his wife to look after me after I'd got the flogging. And I just nestled into her and felt so relaxed, so calm, so at ease. It was a fantastic feeling. And that sort of got me on the journey to kink. Welcome to Love Canberra, a show about love, sex and relationships here in the heart of the nation. I'm Ivana Ho. Robbie is 56 years old. He doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs, but he does have one small vice, pain. I visited Robbie at his unit one night after work. As I approached the front door, I took in the nicely manicured lawn, the medium-sized tree out the front. And then, when I walked in, One of the first things to catch my eye was a large oil painting of him up on the wall. In the painting, Robbie is seated. He's wearing what looks like a purple robe, spectacles, and his face is drawn into an expression of concentration. He says that at the time, he'd been telling his good friend Mastel about a book he'd read recently. Mastel is the one who did the painting. I met Robbie through some mutual friends. It wasn't until we caught up and he told me his story that I learned that the first person who flogged him was Stu from episode 3. Stu was friends with Robbie's next door neighbour of 10 years. She lived next door to me for 10 years and it was only when we moved she told me about her kink. She was very much into rope. Her and Stu came over one night and said that they were going to a party. And I said, well, I've never been flogged before. It'd be interesting to find out what it's like. So they said, come along. So I did. After 10 years, I wish she'd have got to me earlier, but it was 10 years and she told me that she was into it. I could have been doing it for 10 years longer. That was back in May 2012. I asked Robbie how long it took to get those 200 lashes. Probably 15, 20 minutes maybe. Wasn't a long session, um, just the normal the warm-up and then just kept flogging. Did it in sets of around about 20, I think. Kept asking me, are you OK? And I'm, yep, keep going, keep going. So when I'd finished, I said, so how many was that? He said, oh, I ran about 200. I went, okay, that's fine. So I was quite happy with my first attempt. So you said that you were just interested in being flogged. Why? I've always been an up for one to try different things. And because I've pretty much done a lot in my life, I thought, okay, how hard can it be? Everybody else seems to get flogged. 
I've seen it done before on TV or elsewhere, and I thought, I wouldn't mind trying that, see what it feels like. How did you feel after these 200 lashes? Very relaxed. It didn't seem to hurt that much, though. I wanted more. Um, When I finished the flogging, I just wanted more. I couldn't get enough. While you're getting flogged, even though there was pain there, it felt a nice pain. It didn't last. Each time it hit, it hurt. But then it stopped. Then the next flogging, and it stops. So it's not like the pain continues. It's just there periodically, but quite often. It's easier to deal with that way, I think. So how often in a week would you get flogged in those sort of earlier years, I suppose? Oh, in the early years, um, it'd probably be oh, a month or two months between floggings. And they weren't all that harsh. It's usually when somebody flogs you for the first time, they like to see what you can endure. So they tend to go gently on you. I don't like pushing them and telling them that they're not hard enough. I just let them do their own thing. But I would always walk away wanting more. And that's why I decided to up the ante. So you say up the ante. Um, What you've mentioned to me before is that you, over the course of sort of years, months, you began to ratchet up the pain. So you kind of um, graduated to harder and harder instruments, I suppose. Yeah. The suede floggers are quite soft. I get hit with those now and they do nothing to me. Probably put me to sleep, if anything. Usually when I get warmed up now, if I get warmed up at all, it's usually by rubber, serrated rubber flogger, which is quite nice. It's warm, stingy, brings the blood to the surface quite quickly, but it can also draw blood. So once you use that, you can't go back to a suede flogger or a leather flogger because they're too hard to clean once they've got blood on them. So with me, they just start with the the ones that can be cleaned easily, rubber um, and things like that. So, And any floggers that do get blood on them, they're usually mine anyway. Mm. So they're all bonded to me, so they, they only get used on me. Robbie progressed to talking about hard plastic floggers, floggers comprised of licorice rubber strands all bound up, and a flogger with serrated metal washers on the end. I remember going to a party up in Sydney about two years ago um, with Mistress Jackie and Losty. We had some spiked paddles and they both put me up on the wall and started hitting me with that and the blood was just pouring out of my back and I thought, oh, this is really nice. This feels really, really good. That sort of gave them the idea that where do we go from here? Spiked paddles. The only other place we can go to is barbed wire. So Losty actually made me a barbed wire flogger and that's what we were using. When you say barbed wire, do you mean just coiled pieces of uh, like metal or do they have spikes on them? 
No, they have spikes. They're probably about a foot and a half long, um, about eight strands. They're wrapped at the handle, and it's just hit with that. It spreads across the back quite well, but with the barbed wire, you can sort of adjust it so that they are closer together, which is quite nice, or you can spread them out where it covers your whole back. I've sort of done that a few times, and that's really nice. It's quite awkward to try and tell somebody what it feels like to be hit with barbed wire because some people say, oh, I've run into a barbed wire fence and I know what that feels like. But it's not the same. Constantly getting hit, it it feels like your back is on fire. But in the the same time, the little splatters of blood actually cool down. You can feel them popping out of your skin and settling back on your back and it's like quite cool. So to have that pain and the sensation of it cooling down on your back as well is just incredible. It's the best feeling. Now it's pretty evident that Robbie is a masochist. Actually, he's a sadomasochist, but we'll get into that later. With his masochist hat on, I was curious to get his take on what being one means. There are a few different types of masochists. Some describe it as taking pain to start with. Now that can be anything from floggers, needles, wax, hooks... Um, CBT. That's cock and ball torture. Any type of that. But, like, I would not have barbed wire or would not have skewers through my arms, for instance. I would not do CBT to the point that I've seen other people do CBT. To me, they are masochists. But where I come from, I think my understanding is you have to enjoy the pain, not just endure it. You have to enjoy it, want more, keep coming back for more, finding different ways to feel different sensations, different pain levels. And by metal floggers, barbed wire, spiked paddles, things like that are quite fantastic for me because I just enjoy it so much my back is sort of like leather now so the feeling that I get on my back it doesn't sort of hurt me as much well I can't say that if anybody else was to get hurt the same way I get beaten up they would probably be on the floor in tears or whatever but because I'm my back is like leather I just don't feel that anymore and that's why I keep pushing myself to go harder and harder with different implements. I just need that feeling of pain to come across. Can I see your back? Yeah. Okay um, so it doesn't look as scarred or as damaged or you know however you might describe it as as what I might expect from someone who has suffered that kind of a beating. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are 
some crisscrossed <laughs> marks of, um, you know, sort of, I guess it's scar tissue. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it really does not look as brutal as, as I would what have expected. Thought. Yeah. 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 Um, I've got a few little marks elsewhere. What's that circle just on your bicep? That there? Yeah. Um, my daughter got a tattoo gun. And because I don't have any tattoos, I wanted to know what a tattoo would feel like. So she brought the tattoo gun out and did a tattoo on my chest. It's a trisk. Oh, okay. But there's no colour in that? No. <laughs> She's only new. She was only trying it. So I didn't want her to put ink in it. I just wanted it to be a, a scar, just to feel what the pain was like. Mm. And how did it feel? <clears throat> it, felt in, it felt quite good, actually. She did tell me, though, after she'd finished, that the needles in a tattoo gun are less shallow. When she put the needles in her gun, they were probably three times out further than they should be. And she said to me, that's okay, Dad, you'll be able to handle that. You like pain. So that's why she did it on me, and I sort of thought, well, if that's the pain, I can handle that. So I know that I'd be able to get a tattoo with no problems at all. Why haven't you had tattoos before? I haven't found one that I like. <laughs> I have been thinking a trisk, a triskillion like this, done in barbed wire. Um, it's just a matter of getting around to designing it. Mm. I'll probably have it on this side. I'll leave that one there because my daughter did that. <laughs> but so, yeah. so you showed me before um, there was like a scar on your arm? Yeah, that was from a, an ice branding. I think it's gone now. Yeah, can I can't only, really see it. Yeah. Huh. You must just, you know, heal but, really fast. Yeah, that really was probably well. about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got the... We went up to Brisbane um, and did a hook suspension. And while I was there, I thought, OK, we'll have this ice branding as well. So they dipped the brand in liquid nitrogen. Um, and put it on my arm for about five seconds and then pulled it off. Left a nice burn, which took about oh, a week and a half, two weeks to heal up, but it left a nice scar there, but it's disappeared now. Mm. So we, they, they actually told us that it would fade, so I was sort of a little bit disappointed in that. Mm. Yeah. But um, I've got other little scars as well where people have used their fingernails on me. One here that um, Benny Cruel Love has put on me. Um, another one on my leg that Mastel has put on me. Another one on my leg that Mad Hatter X put on me. So I can sort of name all the ones that have been put on me by different people. Mistress Jackie, that's my whole back, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but there's just little ones that people have left that it's a reminder of the pain that they put me through and yeah I'll treasure those it's almost like when people carve their initials into a tree or something pretty much yes yeah Robbie talked about a time at a play party when he had six people caning him all at once to get your head around that is difficult because you can't just focus on one point of pain because you've got six points coming in all at once, you have to try and get your mind off 
them individually and group them. So my headspace was that I was getting stung by bees and that's what it felt like and that's where my mind was taking me. And by doing so, I was able to handle that. Some were a little bit harder than others and to finish it off, I was caned across the arse really, really hard and I, it just took me to a beautiful place. place where I normally end up after getting a good beating. So you mentioned that sort of a real masochist is a person who actually enjoys the pain rather than endures it. But um, can you talk about this sort of pain management um, sort of thing that you do and how that, how that still can coexist with enjoying the pain? When you first start flogging, it's nice, warm, sensual, then there's the touching in between, which is really nice. As it gets harder, the way I deal with it is if I've taken a hard beating, then I can do it again. I'm still standing. I didn't die from it. So I've endured that one. I can take the next one. And then I can take the next one and the next one and the next one. As they get harder, you just change that way of thinking. I've dealt with that one, I can do that again. So it's a case of acknowledging the intensity of the pain, dealing with it, knowing that you can deal with it, and carry on. There comes a time where your brain can't process it as quickly as you'd like to. So if they come hard and fast and varied, whether it be on the back, on the legs, on the bum, all over the place, it's hard for your brain to focus on that. And that in itself gets your mind racing as to where your head is at. It's the thing that gives the adrenaline because you can't deal with it. Your body can't deal with that type of pain. So just automatically it releases the adrenaline and the endorphins then I push it to one step further, blocking it out altogether. The pain gets that intense that my mind just shuts it out. I take a deep breath and just focus. And the hits that are coming are just soft. They become soft. I don't feel them anymore. Not saying that I don't feel them, I know that they're coming, I know that they're there, but they don't feel as harsh as when they were hitting me before. It just blocks it all out. And when I'm in that space, it's such a beautiful place to be in. I've come to the end of the road. I can't be flogged anymore. So it's sort of futile people continuing to flog me because they're not getting anything out of it. And I'm not getting anything out of it because I've come as far as I can. And that's the best place to be. So it sounds like what you get from being flogged and from having um, pain inflicted on you, it's not really a sexual pleasure, it's, it's something else. 
it's not sexual for me at all. I don't get turned on by the pain, although biting is quite nice if it's done correctly. And I think the orgasms that I have are all in my head. I still get that same sensation in my head as I do if I have an orgasm during sex. Only it's better. (laughs) (laughs) So it's better than sex? I would say yes. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And so you don't ever combine pain with sex or sexual activity? I have done before on a few occasions, but not on a regular basis. It depends on who I'm with and... It depends on the situation. If there are other people around, then the sex probably won't happen. It's usually in confined places by ourselves. That I tend to enjoy. But that's sort of an after-fact. It's not sort of included in the play. It comes afterwards. Remember when I said that Robbie is a sadomasochist? Here he is, talking about why he crossed over to the other side. I got to a point that I was being flogged and I wasn't... Not that I wasn't getting anything out of it. I've just gone as far as I could with it. With the barbed wire and stuff like that, I thought, there's got to be something I can do. So I started flogging people. This is probably before the barbed wire anyway. But I started flogging people and... I got satisfaction out of that. I thought if I can get those people to the same place that I get to, it would be a great accomplishment for just not just me, but for them as well. So my goal in being a sadist is to get them to the same place as I am as a masochist. And do you think that having been on the receiving end so much that this sort of gives you particular skills in in doing the inflicting as well? I believe so. I know the signs to look for. I know what's happening to their bodies when they start to shake, when their knees go weak. I know how close they are to that point of dropping. And I know that if I give them one more set they will go down and be in that same place as I am. By being a masochist, you know exactly where they're at, whether they can take more or not. Hmm. So there are right ways and there are wrong ways of flogging? Yes. Yes. Um, I've heard stories about people being caned and caned the wrong way. Not enough warm-up, not being able to read the signs and put people into a place that they really don't want to be and never want to be in again because they've copped it so hard, they've actually damaged them. And those people will never have a cane taken to them again. What's this bad place that they're taken to? I mean, how, how are these people... Um, sort of feeling when they've had it done in a way that you know wasn't right it's usually by people that don't know what they're doing Um, it's usually done by people that are new into the scene 
that don't know when to stop? I guess what I'm asking is what's the difference between dropping in a good way and dropping in a bad way because I presume that there is you know a dropping in that flip side as well. If a flogging is done properly or a caning is done properly you gently take them into that. If it's done the wrong way you take them in there too quick they're not warmed up they're not knowing what to expect it's just harsh from the word go and they don't enjoy it. They will pull out probably crying or hysterical before it ever gets to they, they won't let themselves get into that that nice drop so if it's done the wrong way it can be very damaging so you've just got to make sure that you read the person go gently to start with see where they what they're capable of taking and just treat everybody as an individual because not everybody is the same so in terms of flogging then and doing it the wrong way, um, how might it hit your body if, if, if someone's flogging incorrectly? There are spots on the back that you aim for and it's good to be consistent with where you're actually hitting. There's a thing called wraparound where it comes over the shoulder and hits you around the front or hits you around the side. That pain unexpectedly can bring you out of the nice place that you're going to. You can get somebody almost to the nice place and give them one wrap around and it snaps them out. And it's very difficult to get them back into there again because they're always expecting that wrap around again for the second time. So you've had people sort of, you know, a litany of people sort of come in and come out to get trained, I suppose, in how to flog properly and also to be flogged by you. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. Tell me the story of what wrong assumption your neighbours came to as a result of this. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of people calling around to my place all hours. But because there's so many young ones coming and going and they stay for half an hour, an hour, people around the units that I live in believe that I was dealing drugs which would be a natural assumption. How did you find out that they were thinking this? Oh, she told a friend of mine from work, and she told me. She said, oh, I, they, they thought you were dealing with drugs. And I went, really? What did you tell them? She said, oh, no, I just told them that it wasn't drugs. No, you're fine, you're good. Um, you wouldn't do that sort of thing. It's other things that he does that people are interested in, and that's why they come around. But because they don't know what she does, she wasn't going to tell them what I do because that'd be giving away her secret as well. So she was very diplomatic about the whole thing. So you hadn't noticed that your, your neighbours were behaving strangely around you? and you know, Oh, no, they didn't say anything to me. No, they just assumed. <laughs> it's weird what people think. They always get the wrong idea. They see what they want to see. And it's the same in the kink world. Um, a lot of people see things and think, yeah, this is what's going on, but they don't really know. And you're pretty open about chill kink, aren't you? Oh, yes. Um, everybody at work knows what I do. 
they, some of them ask for pictures. Um, some of them are quite interested. Others just don't want to know, but they know what I do. So it's, I'm quite open about everything. And my family all know as well. I don't hide any of that from them. They know that I get barbed wire. They know that I get hit with metal floggers um, and a whole different range of other things. You came out to your colleagues um, about your sexuality before you told them that you're into kink. Yes. I've been out at work for oh a long while now. That was a strange situation because they sort of assumed that I was gay and they were writing things on toilet walls and all the rest of it, so I put a stop to that. I came out and told them that I was gay and ever since then there have been no writing on the walls at all. Everybody knows now that you're gay, so there's nothing to write about. So I'm quite open with everything that I do in my life because I don't want to have to hide it from anybody. I don't want to be keeping it a secret. If anybody wants to know about kink, they can come to me about it because they know that that's what I'm into. There are probably gay guys at work that keep it to themselves, are in the closet. They will talk to me about it. I keep their secret. But at least they've got somebody to talk to that understands them and knows where they're coming from. Do you think that your colleagues have a certain level of respect for you because of the amount of pain that you can tolerate and because you seek it out? No, they just think I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they respect me for dealing with the pain. Um, I try and describe what it's like and what I actually get out of it. And some people are genuinely interested to the point where they want to see what it's all about. I think they'd be quite shocked because they keep saying to me, oh, if you want pain, we'll give you pain. We'll hit you over the back of the head with a four before. That's not what it's about. It's about being safe. You can hit anybody with a stick, but doing it properly without damage, it's a different story. And so you drive buses for a living, don't you? Yes, yes. Um, That in itself is quite challenging. And being health and safety representative as well, I sort of take a lot of things into consideration when it comes to kink. To an outsider, someone who's entirely uneducated about kink, They might think that there's a certain irony that, as a masochist, you're also a safe health and safety rep. I think that's ironic. You know, to be hit with barbed wire as a health and safety rep, that's not a good thing to do. Um, You've got to look at things like dirty implements, like dirty barbed wire, although that barbed wire is just mine. It doesn't get used on anybody else. But tetanus... You've got to make sure that you keep up with your tetanus shots and things like that. I don't ever treat my barbed wire injuries with any ointments or anything like that. I just let them scab up and heal by themselves. 
it's quite good fun actually about a week after I get the barbed wire with all these little scabs on my back I drive around scratching them off and it feels really nice. You have been seriously injured once though during a play session. Seriously injured? Mm, I'd say injured. Okay. Um, I had a broken tailbone from an incident and I sort of got into trouble for that one because I kept on with the scene. I was being kneed in the buttocks, in the arse cheeks, and the implement that I was bending over actually moved and I was struck in the tailbone, broke my tailbone. I heard a crack, but I continued the play. I just laid there and kept going until the play was finished. And when I stood up, I realised that, oh, there's something wrong there. And when I tried to sit down, it was even more painful. And I thought, we've broken the tailbone here. Um, Mistress Jackie went off at me because she believes that I don't have any breaks. I should have pulled it up when I first heard the crack, which is probably the right thing to do. But because I am me, I just kept going. That in itself was an experience because being gay, sexual activity with a broken tailbone is quite enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Enjoyable for you perhaps, but I can't imagine that someone who's not into pain would find sex enjoyable with a broken tailbone. probably not. But no, it was totally enjoyable and I didn't want it to heal up. Six weeks with a broken tailbone and I used to sit back in my seat at work as I drove the bus encouraging that pain to stay there so every time I sat back in the seat I could feel that pain and I would drive around all day with that it made me feel alive So this is an odd segue, but I thought that I'd just return back to your family. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that they know what implements you get struck with and you don't keep anything a secret from Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And you'd also be fine with your daughters going into kink, like you'd be perfectly happy if they wanted to experiment. I'd be happy with them going into it. I know their stance on it. Neither of my two daughters are interested in it, but if they wanted to get into it, I'd be happy for them to try different things. I wouldn't be able to do anything with them. And why is that? I tend to have connections with the people that I flog, and it can get a bit sensual. Um, To be doing things like that with your daughters is a little bit crazy, and I just wouldn't feel at ease doing that. I don't think I'd be at ease watching them get it done either. I'd probably have to be out of the room when they're doing it. There are other family members where that is the situation. The mother won't watch the daughters, the daughters won't watch the mother, and that's fine. They have that arrangement, and I think I would do the same thing. Why is that, though? I mean, you enjoy the pain, and one would think that, you know, someone else in the position where they're asking for that treatment, Mm -hmm. they would be experiencing some form of pleasure as well. And so why would it be hard for you to see one of your daughters receiving that? 
I would like to see them go to the same places I go to, but the journey getting there, I don't think I'd like to see. It's hard to explain seeing your daughters getting beaten by somebody else. I would have to trust that person. There are only a few people that I would trust to do that in the scene. Um, I won't mention names, but I will gladly tell them who they are in person. So, yeah, that's how I'd feel about that. That's like a blood bond almost saying, you know, I would trust you with my daughters, you know, in this sort of way. That means something. Yes. And there's only a few people that I would trust. Okay, so I'm thinking maybe we should do show and tell. Shall we check out your toys? Yeah, for sure. We'll start with the canes. We've come to sort of like a bit of a shelf here and, and there's, describe what this is under here. There's, there's like a drawer. Okay, this is just a chest, of, of a bookshelf pretty much with a cabinet or box built underneath. On that... We have different types of canes. That one there is a fiberglass cane made by Blade. That won't break. They usually break canes on me. This one here was about $40, $45. Very light. So that's good for people that are new to the scene. That's just a bit of bamboo cane trusty old wooden spoon <laughs> I had Candace over here one day and she hit me with my wooden spoon and broke it so she went out and bought me a decent one one that won't break um, wire flogger beaded wire that's quite nice if it's hit hard when it's done softly it tends to hurt a little bit more stings a little bit more um, I made one myself cable ties probably about 20 cable ties there which is quite nice I certainly won't be able to look at cable ties the same way, that was really mm. creative use of them clothesline right I had to change the cabling on my clothesline so I decided to cut up the clothesline make a bit of a handmade flogger out of it and that's the result and there's probably about what 20 strands in there I suppose and that's very stingy. And soundly too, I'm sure. Oh, yes. I have video of that one. This one here a friend made me. Um, that's this a belt? Is like it's a leather strap and it's beaded with metal in there as well. Little bits of metal in there that keeps it rigid. Your riding crop, as usual. And a general's cane staff. Opening up the box, we have cupping, rope, plastic sheeting. So this little chest, pretty much full of um, little bits and pieces, cuffs, ball gags. I've got clips, nipple clamps. 
Um, so there was something that you showed me when we met. Is that around? Oh, yes. Oh, that's for CBT. Yeah, I've sort of been working on that. Um, I've had friends trying to get me into CBT because they believe that now is the time. I've gone as far as I can with the flogging, the caning. You need something else. So they've tried to get me into CBT. I'm sort of gradually getting myself there before I delve in big time. But it's just another way of, or another sensation that I need to get to. Mm. Yeah. So from what I remember of it, it's like a metal cuff and it's got sort of screws all around it. Yes. it's. Um, I've got a few of those. Uh, they're in my bag. I take them with me. We walked over to his kitchen where his bag was sitting on the counter. Occasionally, occasionally I just feel like wearing them sometimes. And as Robbie removed the cuffs from his bag, he dropped them onto the kitchen counter. And those there just screw out and you put your penis and your balls through there and you screw them back up to that. You said that, so there's like a circumference of about a centimetre of, of in the space yeah, yeah, between the ends of the screws. Yes. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, those five would probably screw into your testicles and your penis comes through this part, right? You can screw that one in the top and screw that down onto your penis. That's fine while ever it's soft. You could probably screw it in a fair way, about to about there. But then when you start to get erect, that really digs in. And yeah, it's painful, but nice. Did you have to work your way to the setting that um, the other screws are at, where they're screwed right in and there is like just that centimetre of gap in between? Yeah, I probably wouldn't get that one into my penis that far. Um, because that would probably go through. Yeah. It would penetrate. Yeah. Yeah. So those two are quite good. That one there is just a, a normal cock ring. Um, How does that work? Because it's like a coil almost. Yeah. Um, put one testicle through, then you pull the other one through, and while you're soft... You just force your penis through the top of it and it sits around that with your testicles hanging outside here. Mm, okay. Then when you get hard, it pretty much strangles you. Right. I feel like these implements, perhaps more than the flogging, um, sort of really demonstrate the way that you're a masochist in terms of enjoying the pain, being aroused by the fact of these screws going into your genitals. Yes. Hmm. Oh, and actually, yeah, it, it's difficult because the more pain that's actually there, the more you get excited and the more it hurts. Um, that one there, if I leave that on too long, the, the bits in there where the screws come through... This is the thick 
coil. Yeah, the thick one. Yeah. The skin actually gets pushed through there after a time. So to try and pull that out, you're pulling the skin out as well. It's quite rough on the inside. So it can become quite, well, not dangerous, but hurt a fair bit. While having that on, I got with a guy and we were masturbating mutually. And when I ended up taking that off, I was bruised pretty badly. And that's not a good kind of pain. Oh, yeah, it was good. Oh, yeah, I was actually pleased that it was bruised because it hurt so much. And I'm thinking, it's bad if I take this thing off and there's nothing there. But when I saw the bruises, it was like a trophy. It was like, yes, it works. This is good. Mm. Yeah. So unintentional pain is also good. Mm, yeah. We continued the show portion of the show and tell, moving on from canes and CBT devices to floggers. Robbie's floggers hang from something that looks like a belt or a tie rack, which sits on top of a door that seals his living room from the other rooms of the unit. Robbie said that he leaves these and his canes out, but he does hide them occasionally when he's asked to by his landlord, when, say, the gas guy has to come around to make repairs. Tell me what we're looking at here. Okay, so what we have here is the suede flogger. Mm-hmm. The one that I got flogged with wasn't like that. That's more of a softer one again. I pretty much copped something like this one, which Mistress Jackie made for me for my birthday. It's got a rainbow handle and it's a suede flogger with smooth edges on one side and suede on the other. It looks very pretty, actually, because it's not just all black strips. You've got some purple and... Oh, it's a gay flogger. It's Mm -hmm. the rainbow colours. Okay. So that one there. So if I was starting off flogging somebody, I would use the soft flogger there, that one there, maybe that one as well, the red and black, or that one. Then you get into this one here, which is more like 30 strands of boot lace, leather boot lace. That stings. It's quite nice. I like that. That's one. That's a good one to get warmed up with. Then we moved into the serrated rubber. And this is one of my favourites as well. That stings, but it's really, really nice. What it is, is bicycle tube. And they've just been cut with pinging shears. So they have a serrated edge on it. And I thought that there would cut me. But when I got flogged with that, it was like, no, I like this one. It's stingy, it warms me up quite well, and it feels nice. Then we get into- Robbie went through each item in his arsenal. Then he talked about the floggers that get used on him, which aren't kept at his house, such as the barbed wire flogger. I asked, perhaps naively, why that one wasn't amongst his collection. Too much blood. Yeah. Yeah. We can't do it out the back because of the people, the neighbours, and we can't do it in the house because we get blood splatter, and there's a fair bit of that. Mm. Mm. So just when I thought the show part of our conversation was over... I do have sounding rods as well. Sounding rods? Um, where are they? Did I put them away? 
sounding rods. They're about 12 inches long. And they're fairly thin too, sort of like reusable metal kebab sticks. And that slips down the eye of your penis. Right, okay. To about there. So you said that you wouldn't associate these with masochism. No. Um, I, I don't understand. <laughs> it's more of a sensation. It's not painful. Okay. It can be if you attach electrodes. So I have an e-stim machine, which is an electro kit. I've attached that to this end and another one to my testicles. And when you put that down through your penis, you turn the charge up and it gives you a sensation down there. It can be painful, but more stimulating than painful. So it, de- it depends on how you want to use them. I asked Robbie to describe the first time he put a rod down his penis. He said it was a funny story that it happened during a play party. My next-door neighbour of 10 years was out there as well. And Mistress Jackie said, OK, come into the bedroom. I said, what are we doing? She said, don't worry about it. So I did that, lay down on the bed. They pulled my pants down. That was a bit of a shock because this is the first time my ex-next-door neighbour had seen me naked, which I thought, ah, oh, this is a little bit weird. Anyway, she was holding my penis... I had somebody holding my shoulders down and Jackie was putting the rod down through the eye of my penis and I had my eyes closed just feeling the sensation and I thought this is weird and I opened my eyes and I said how far is this down and they started pulling it out and I couldn't believe how far it had actually gone down so as as I say the rod's about 12 inches long probably went down 10 inches there was only a little bit sticking out at the top and then they started pulling it out and seeing that was amazing the sensation inside your penis is amazing yet a lot of guys won't try it because they think no way am I putting anything down the eye of my penis but until it happens they don't know what it feels like they just have that picture in their mind and again This is what I'm saying, if you're going to try it, do it at least once because you may be missing out on a really good experience just because of the fear in your head. And you have to be erect when you put it down, don't you? No, 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 you can be soft, yes. As Robbie packed up his sounding rods, I was feeling like the interview was over, but he reminded me that we'd yet to talk about emotional masochism. Emotional masochism, not to trivialise it, is like the emotional equivalent of what the guys in Fight Club did, letting themselves get beaten to pulp in order to break through the constant numbness that they lived in. In delving into emotional masochism, Robbie began by talking about a text message he'd received that night from a close friend who goes by the fet name Ravenlace. She sent me a song that I should look up. And she sent me the words to that song. And it was about a father telling his gay son that he didn't want to see him kiss boys in the street. So she sent me that. And then she said, this is from your emotional saddest. 
Robbie went on to describe how the song was about a father who tells his son that he's ashamed of him, that he's an embarrassment to his country because he's gay. Over time, the father's attitudes soften, but he still won't hug his son like his brother hugs him, or kiss him like his mother kisses him. By the end of the song, the father is dying. He finally accepts that men can love other men, because he loves his son. With all that said and done, I had to ask, how's that emotional sadism? It's difficult to explain because it's what we have actually experienced in the past. It's things that she's made me realise, things that nobody else has made me realise. When I was young, my father died. The day he died, I couldn't remember how old I was. I couldn't remember the date. I couldn't remember any of that. We went home to Wellington one time and she made me break down in front of Dad's grave and she made me remember. And I remembered for months. And I've forgotten about it now. Again, I'm still not sure. She knows. Other people know, but I don't. I keep forgetting. But she made me remember it. Why do you think you keep forgetting these details? It was because when I was younger, my father hit me with a belt because I'd done something wrong and that was the punishment we used to get. And I wished that he was dead. And then when he died not long after that, I blamed myself and probably still do to this day. And that's the guilt that I have to carry with me to my grave, I think. And the details of his death are something that reminds me every day that I've done that, that I wish somebody did. And by not remembering, it's my way of remembering It's interesting that you have such negative associations with the beating that he gave you and how you voluntarily get beaten now and you enjoy it. Yeah, that's the strange thing. Back then, we just saw it as being punished for the bad things that we did. He was never a a bad father. That was just the way that people disciplined their children back then. I just felt so bad and hurt that I actually hurt him because he told me why he did it. And by me wishing him dead was one of those things that I'll never forgive myself. And I don't know whether the the beatings or the canings or whatever I get today are associated with that. I don't know. Do you think about your father every time you get Every day. And my mother every day. Just every day generally or in relation to the flogging and your equipment? Oh, no. No, just every day. Yep. Um, I walk out of the door every morning and I look up into the sky and see them there, remember them, and then I get on with my day. 
We talked more about how physical masochism intersects with emotional masochism, about the highs and depression that are associated with a really thorough beating. We talked about how some people subject themselves to floggings to tap into these peaks of emotion. And then the conversation wound back around to Robbie's parents. There are so many different reasons why people get flogged. Knowing all of them is just an assumption. I think you know, one of the reasons that I can take as much as I can take is because when my mother died... It hurt me so much that nothing is going to hurt me as much as that. That pain will never be replaced. And whether I just get flogged or beaten because of that, I want to get close to that pain, it's not happening. So, you know, I'm just using that maybe as an excuse for the way I am, the pain that I endure. I can't really think of any other reason why I enjoyed as much. So is that the reason? Don't know. But for now I'll say yes. Nothing is coming close to my mother's death. Love Canberra is written and produced by me, Ivana Ho. The intro and outro music is by Proletar. Some of the interstitial music is courtesy of Poddington Bear. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find me at Love CBR Podcast or drop me a line at lovecamberapodcast at gmail.com. On the next episode of Love Canberra. I'm not so inert that I can't tell what is supposed to trigger certain responses. So... It's not like as if someone showed me, you know, a porn movie or something. I wouldn't sit there going, you know, is this the bit where people are supposed to get turned on? That's next time on Love, Canberra. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.